This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Well, let me also have the privilege and joy of saying Merry Christmas to you and good morning. Welcome. Have a seat with you. Certainly that song's lyrics is our prayer that we'd find rest in Christ this morning. Special welcome to any of you who are visiting with family or any guests who were invited to be here. And a Merry Christmas also as you who are away and watching online wherever you might be. <clears throat> My text this morning is from the New Testament letter to the church at Galatia in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 written by the Apostle Paul. You'll find that, if you care to turn there, in the Black Pew Bibles on page 974, the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray one last time as we seek his help. God, there's so much clutter that surrounds the mystery of the incarnation and the wonder of what it is and what it signifies. And only you, Lord, can give light and clarity to each of our hearts and minds. Only you, Lord, can, can make us receptive to what you have said here. And so I pray for your Spirit's work in each of our hearts and minds on this Christmas morning, that you would, Lord, grant illumination and receptivity, and that this would be for all of us, Lord, a Christmas that is filled, Lord, with a deepening sense of what it truly signifies. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, we all have, um, I think, mental pictures of Christmas, things we associate it with, uh, be it major scenes or be it uh, nativity sets or yeah, Christmas musicals or your, your favorite Christmas mu movies or music, whatever it is that uh, your traditions may be in your family. And we're all somewhat familiar, at least, uh, with uh, the, the storyline, the plot line to some extent. But, but what exactly is the meaning and the significance of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, which is really what we celebrate at Christmas. In other words, why, why do Christians celebrate the birth of a Jewish man that took place some 2,000 years ago in a small town known as Bethlehem? Why do we celebrate that? And how does it have anything to do with you and me? living as we do today 
in the world that we live today? And that really is a fair question. Well, scripture speaks to that. God is his own interpreter. God explains himself, and our text that I read speaks to that. It helps answers those questions. We're told here that in the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world to redeem and to grant us adoption as sons. Now there's more that can be said, but those are the two principal ideas here. God sent his son to redeem that we might receive adoption. Two blessings, two gifts that flow from not only the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, but what he came to do with his life, death, and resurrection. I'd like to focus our time on those two gifts this morning. Redemption in Christ and adoption in Christ. But before we look at them, we have to relate the sending, the birth of Christ to both of these. What on earth does it mean that God sent his son into the world? Well, sent is an important word here because it means to be sent from a previous state. And you can hear a hint there of the pre-existence of the one who was born, the pre-existence of the Son of God. And so we say Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And that's true. Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem. But his birth was unlike any other because as he said, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> that he pre-existed as God the Son. He existed already and has existed from all eternity. The gospel writers express this in different ways. The apostle John begins his well-known gospel in this way. He says, in the beginning, before there was any other beginning, he goes, in the beginning was the word. He uses that title for Jesus. In the beginning always was the word, and the word was with God, literally face to face with God. And then he says, and the word was God. And then he says a few verses later, and the word that word which was always in the beginning and was face to face with God, that word which was God became flesh. <laughs> became, you see, flesh and dwelt among us. And so this statement and other verses like these, um, they stress the deity, they emphasize the divinity of Jesus and his pre-existence. I I would remind you, and for some of you, maybe this is newer, that though the word Trinity is not found in the Holy Scriptures, uh, they as a whole teach that mysterious truth that God is three in one sense and one in another sense, that he is one in his being, in his essence, in other words, the stuff that makes God God, he is one, and yet he is three persons. 
He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so when we speak of the birth of Jesus, the man, we are speaking of the incarnation of God the Son, God enfleshed in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And, and so this explains some of these astounding claims that this man Jesus of Nazareth made. Uh, it's clear that he came to, to, that he understood this, his own nature. He said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> wow. And he said, I and the Father are one. And the Jews understood what he was getting at because they tried to kill him. They said he's making himself out to be equal with God. And so it is. You see, that's the mystery of the incarnation. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. And these, these, there are two affirmations here. First of all, born of a woman. He, it affirms what? His humanity Though he is the eternal God, God the Son, he was born of a woman. In other words, he is a real human being. He has flesh and blood like you and me. He was not a ghost. He was not some angelic being. He was not uh, an, an apparition. He was then and is now and always will be a human being. Born of a woman. And so in what sense do we speak about how he was sent and yet born of a woman? How do we put these two together? Well, Jesus was supernaturally conceived, as we heard read, by the work of God, the Holy Spirit, supernaturally conceived in the womb of this young girl, Mary. God created in Mary a new sinless human nature. And so uh, Jesus received 50% of his chromosomes from Mary, his mother. But the other 50% did not come from Joseph, but from God the Holy Spirit. Mystery of mysteries. This is the in incarnation and as a result Jesus possesses two natures Jesus is the only person like this he is in a category all by himself utterly unique he is one person with two natures simultaneously existing within him he is fully God and fully man yet without sin at the same time, the incarnation. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, you see. And so the incarnation is an act of addition, not subtraction. Without ceasing to be what he has always been, God the Son, he became what he never was, Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man. And he is now and forever will be 
the God-man existing in that state. He became and is forever, therefore, God incarnate, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And that says more than he was a Jew. He truly was a Jew, but it it means that he lived subject to God's law. He lived under God's law, which was essential to what he came to do. He came to do all that the law commands. He came to love the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, and with all his strength. And he did. He came to walk in the way of righteousness, And he did. He was that lamb without blemish, the sinless lamb of God. And so this is the identity of the one who came to redeem in order that we might be adopted as sons. He was sent by the Father. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. And he came, first of all then, to redeem. Redemption. He came to redeem. What's this word redeem mean? It means to be set free by the payment of a price. It's It's a word that came from the market. To buy back at the payment of a price. And those of you who are part of the church, you know that some weeks ago we talked about how in the ancient world one could set a slave free You can set a slave free by the payment of a price, by the payment of what was called a ransom. And the one who paid the price was the redeemer. The one who was set free was the redeemed. And the whole process was called redemption. The price paid was ransom. And so we're told here that God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem Those under the law, under the weight of the law, under the guilt of the law. Now, we're not told here uh, what the price was, how it was paid, or what we needed to be set free from, but Paul says that elsewhere in this letter and other places, and so do the, uh, the other writers of the New Testament. We have been set free from what? He came to redeem us from what? Well, in chapter 3, verse 13 of this same letter, he says, Christ redeemed us from, here it is, the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's speaking there of the cross. So what is the curse of the law? Well, God's law revealed a standard, and the standard is perfect righteousness. And now we all fall short of this standard of perfect righteousness, and in fact, Scripture says we're not inclined to even seek to live like that. (laughs) We don't hit the mark because we don't aim at the mark. We choose, and we have chosen as human beings, self-rule. We want, to, we want to be our own gods, as it were. We've taken the crown off his head and put it on our own. Uh, we're all inclined to go our own way, uh, captured so well by, those of you a little older will remember the Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way, <laughs> right? 
And that's what Scripture, in essence, refers to as sin. What is sin? At the heart of sin is our inclination to say no to God and say yes to ourselves, to determine to be God. I think anyone who's been a parent or is a parent now understands what I'm talking about, this inclination, right? All right? It's, 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 it is human nature now ever since the fall in the beginning. We don't work at teaching children how to do bad because they're inclined to do that already. We work at teaching them how to do right. Sin is in our hearts, you see. And the penalty of sin is death, says Scripture. The wages of sin is death. And the death the Scripture speaks of is not only our physical deterioration of our bodies, but an eternal spiritual death, an eternal spiritual separation and alienation from God under condemnation, what the Bible calls hell. And so God sent his son into this world, born of a woman, man of men, born under the law, that he might redeem us from the curse of the law, that damnation which we all merit. And now we see how his unique nature as the God-man is necessary, why the incarnation was necessary, and how it qualifies him to be our only redeemer, you see. The nature that sins must make restitution. We, human beings, have rebelled against our Creator. He was born of a woman. But the life that is given must be sinless and possess infinite value to remove the infinite demerit of our sin. God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman, the Son, the eternal Son. You see here then the indispensability of the incarnation. He is the perfect mediator and the sole mediator between God and man because he possesses both natures. And when did this redemption take place? It did not take place at his incarnation in the cradle. It took place at the cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The crucifixion. Scripture puts it this way. Jesus speaks himself. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And here it emphasizes his own, uh, his own willingness to do so. God sent, yes, the Father sent, but don't ever think that there's any sort of debate between him and the Son or wrenching the Son's arm in any way. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life. And he knew this. He was prepared for this. And how do we know that his life was given as a ransom? How do we know that the ransom was the full price? If you were a slave and you were purchased back, you would be set free. Well, how do we know? Well, he was raised from the dead. See, we must move from the cradle to the cross to the empty tomb. 
The resurrection was the Father's affirmation that he has fulfilled, he has paid the penalty. Death no longer has power over him and death will not have a permanent power over those who are in him. He has conquered sin and conquered death through his, through his crucifixion, his sufferings, and resurrection. And at Christmas we remember then that that's why God sent his son into this world. And we remember and we should reflect on the profound love that is found in God expressed in this unspeakable gift of sending his own son into this place to walk in our shoes and to receive upon himself what he himself uh, has deemed necessary for our sins. We heard already uh, uh, Pedro quote earlier in his prayer, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At the moment of our unloveliness, he did the most unspeakable thing. In 1 John chapter 4, the apostle John says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. There is the love of God in being, uh, in, in, in being willing and desiring and fulfilling his word to place his own son where we deserve to be. John Stott, the late uh, uh, pastor and author, he says, he puts it this way. He sums it up and says, man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. And that is the great exchange in the gospel, the good news, the purpose of the incarnation. We can put it this way. We are saved from God by God. As we who were here last night reflected on this, God satisfies himself, his own perfect justice. He will not blink at sin and wink at it and, and set it aside. He satisfies his own perfect justice by substituting himself, which allows him then to express love and grace and mercy towards us, right? The incarnation is indispensable to the good news. Divine satisfaction, we said, through divine substitution. All the legal consequences of our sin and guilt is suffered by another, and all the righteousness of that other is given to us. What a glorious thing. May God just open your eyes to see the wonder of the gospel and the good news. The incarnation is indispensable and it's the Son of God who took it upon himself. He said in the Gospel of John uh, the, the following, he said, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good 
shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, he says. But I lay it down, listen to this, of my own accord. Of my own accord. This is the love of God expressed through the Father and the Son. Christ died for us. Christ died instead of us. And so he suffered all the legal consequences and uh, the terrible consequences of our sin. He's conquered sin and death so that death for us does not become an eternal separation, alienation from God. Uh, I know many of you have heard the, uh, the story, I've shared it here more than once, of the pastor, the late pastor Donald Gray Barnhouse. Uh, he was driving his family to the funeral of his wife and their children. He was with his children. And on the way, he was struggling trying to figure out a way to talk to his children about their mother's death, about his wife's death. And on the way, he passed a truck the truck went by, and then the shadow of the truck went by. And so he turned to his young daughter, and he said, Honey, do you see that truck? Yes, Daddy, I see the truck. Do you see the shadow? Yes, I see the shadow. And then he said, Well, I really want you to know that the truck of death hit Jesus, so Mommy only has to go through the shadow of death. Well, which would you prefer to be hit with? He asked her. The shadow. Christ took the full weight of what you and I deserve that you and I might experience the love of God, forgiveness of sins, and only pass through the shadow of death and experience eternal life and the resurrection. That is redemption. God sent his son into the world, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem, buy back at the price, that price was himself. So that, he keeps saying, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And here is the second blessing mentioned here. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And Paul uses sons in reference to both men and women uh, because in, in that culture at that time, it was the son who had the full rights of being an heir. And so he's saying we're all sons of God. We all have full rights to be an heir of the blessings of God. He says those who are redeemed are adopted as God's children. This is a given. Look at verse 6. He says because you are sons. He doesn't say go out and try to become sons, but he says to the redeemed, he says and because you are sons. In other words, that's that's a given. That's a, a that's your new status if you have been redeemed by Christ and been united to him by faith. You are sons. And how is it that we became the sons of God? Well, in this letter, Paul says it's through faith, through faith in Christ. The Apostle John becomes more explicit. So let me read what the Apostle John says about those who become 
the children of God. We know what the basis is, which is what? What Christ did for us. But how does redemption result in our being redeemed and becoming the children of God? The author, John, uh, in his gospel puts it this way. John chapter one, speaking of Jesus, he says, he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. Now listen to this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood. It's not about your lineage, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. It's not just what you do, but of God, born of God. Who are the children of God? Those who receive him, those who believe in his name, those who've been born of God, you see. All three. The ones who receive him are identical to the ones who believe in him. The ones who receive him and believe in him are identical to the ones who've been born of God. And so, who are the children of God? Those who receive, believe, and have been born of God, you see. Now, sometimes someone says, I struggle with that because I don't... Am I born of God? Don't start there. <laughs> start at the front of the line, which was what? Those who receive him. <laughs> those who have received him. Those who believe in him. They've been born of God, you see. Start at the head of the line. You see, that's the question to you. The question is to you is, I've sent my son. He went to redeem. He suffered what you deserve. Will you receive him? Will you believe in him, you see? And you say, I have. You've been born of God, <laughs> you see. So you think through it that way, beloved. Trust in him. He says in verse 6, back in Galatians, verse 6, and because you are sons, God has done something. He has sent the spirit of his son into your, our hearts, crying, Abba, that's the uh, Aramaic for daddy. Crying, daddy, father. So what he's saying is that God sent his son to redeem and then that we might be adopted and, then, and God also sent the spirit of his son. God sent the son into the world to redeem. God sent the spirit into our hearts in order that we might cry with him, Daddy. The first one is objective. It's outside of you. It's historical. God sent his son 2,000 years ago. He redeemed you. He went to the cross for you. The second is experiential. He has sent his son. Where? Into our hearts. Into our hearts. And why? That we might be able to cry out to the living God Daddy, Father. I know that sounds sweet, but the truth of the matter is that that verb cry out is an intense verb that indicates the presence of really intense feeling. And Sinclair Ferguson, for example, says the atmosphere here is not tranquility, but crisis. 
The verb was used of the demoniac when the demons were cast out of him. He was, he was crying out. The verb is used of Jesus when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so I think what the picture here is, is that being a son of God, because you've been redeemed, is an objective root truth. You, won't, you don't feel that necessarily. But be, understanding that these things are true is experiential. And God has sent his spirit to be a witness in your own conscience that indeed you are a child of God. He would use the same language to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 8, this is the Apostle Paul again. He says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then he goes on to say, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, I think what it's getting at is that there are times when you, even as a child of God, don't feel like one. It may be the crisis of doubt. We've all had them. It may be the crisis of shame. Whatever crisis it may be, it may be that you've walked far away from God. It may be that you've broken down in some ways and you're wrestling with your depression. You're wrestling with the fear that you feel. You're wrestling with shame over sin or guilt. But there will come a moment because you are his and his spirit's in you that when the moment's right, what you will do is cry out, Daddy. Get me out of this mess. <laughs> Father, see, no matter what happens, you're still the child of God. And God has given his spirit to you to affirm this adoption, that you'll always return to him. I had a spat with my dad once. Well, I'd say once is a lie. I had a spat with my dad many times. <laughs> but I had one <laughs> that, I that, that stuck with me. And we were at odds with each other, and it was bitter. But something happened in our family, and I looked to him and said, Dad, nothing changed that. And so God sent his son to redeem. Those who are redeemed are adopted, and God sent his spirit to enable you to cry out, I'm a child of God now. I'm his. And who are those? Where are those who have received him, believed in him, and had been born of God? This is God's glorious double blessing, two gifts he extends. This is what Christmas is really moving towards. You see why the incarnation was essential, right? Redemption and adoption. They both come through not the birth of Jesus, but the death and resurrection of the incarnate Son. And so not on the basis of anything you've done or can do or ever will do, but on the basis of what Jesus alone, the God-man, has done, 
God will welcome you into his family. He will welcome you with open arms if you will but humble yourself before him, admit your sin, repent to your sin, and, and believe in Christ. Receive him as your Savior. That is a humbling thing because really it is an offense on some level, uh, especially to those of us who see ourselves as self-made people, you know. And that's why for many this is not good news at first. Why? Because they cannot bear to acknowledge the seriousness of their sin and guilt. They can't stand to say that. I'm better than that. They cannot stand the humiliation of acknowledging their moral bankruptcy before a holy God. And in a true American spirit, can't stand, some of us can't stand someone else having to pay. You know. I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. In a sense, there are people who would rather perish than humble themselves. Don't let that be you. The gospel, as someone said, is, is this. Cheer up. You're worse than you think. <laughs> but facing that, you've been loved more than you would ever imagine. You're worse than you think. Admit it. But you've been loved more than you could ever have imagined. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem you. Scripture says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want to leave you with a mental picture of this. Okay? So I finish with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisees, who were they? Really, 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 really church people. Churchy, holy, they had it all together, you see. And the tax collector, they didn't work for the IRS. <laughs> the tax collectors were despised. Why? Because they were Jews who took money from other Jews for Rome and were skimming and making profits. They were seen as traitors. And so Jesus told a parable. It's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Just listen to it. It says here in Luke 18, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says this. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Now he starts with the really bad list. Even, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Holy, 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 holy. <laughs> but the tax collector standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes 
he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the second one, went down to his house justified, declared not guilty, forgiven, rather than the other. Why is that? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We said last night, and I'll say it again, man-made religion is an attempt to ascend to God by your own self-righteousness. The gospel's good news because it's not about ascending, about, it's about God descending. He's come to you. He sent his son to live for you, to die for you. Would you please just receive this gift? There is no greater gift than the forgiveness of sins, than eternal life, and these gifts come through faith in Jesus. And if you have received this gift, then act like it on Christmas. <laughs> Be thankful, gracious, and rejoice. Glyph glory to God. As John the Apostle says, behold what manner of love that we should be called the children of God. Amen? Let's pray.